Good evening. How are we doing? Good. Good to be here. Um, this is our going to be our last mine for the semester. Uh, we're going to wrap it up tonight, and um, we won't get through the entire book of James, but we'll try our best to get into chapter three tonight. Uh, we will wrap it up and reconvene on January eighth. And so, if you've got your day timers or calendars, or uh, does that not work for you? No. Hey, okay. Um, uh, it's Tuesday night, January 8th, and so we will uh, be back then, and we'll just pick up right where we left off. So we'll be back on the 15th as well, so uh, come join us then. Uh, I'd love to see some of you here, uh, and it's been a great semester. Honestly, um, I was thinking about um, this past, since August, and being here since August kind of on a regular basis, and uh, not only has time, I think, for me anyway, has gone by real quickly, but uh, it has just been a true honor and a privilege, and so I thank you for allowing me the time to just spend time with you um, this semester. Um, I wanted to extend some thanks as well, though. It's not as easy as just standing up here and, and just talking for a few moments. Um, it involves a whole crew of people that really just give up their time freely. And so I just wanted to thank Mike. Um, Mike runs this show, basically. I'm the figurehead. Mike is the, uh, Mike is the puppet master. And so um, Mike tells me what to do and when to do it and where to stand and where to, what to speak on. And so I just do what he tells me. So huge thanks to Mike. Huge thanks to our crew back here that run the sound and lights and uh, media back here. Um, and then for our guys that run the microphones, it's, uh, you know, for our kids, for our child care, um, it's just a, it's a fantastic opportunity for us to get together. But I hope we're all aware that it doesn't happen without the hands and feet of several, several people. And so I just wanted to extend our great thanks. Um, we left off yesterday, or I'm sorry, um, last week in James chapter 2, and we were discussing this idea of faith and works. And so I wanted to just recap because we left off in, in verse 20. I just wanted to finish verses basically 21 to 24. So if you have your Bibles, turn there to uh, James chapter 2, starting in verses 21 to 24. That's not going to take up the bulk of our time this evening. Really, we're going to start in James chapter 3. But I want to kind of continue this theme of verse by verse. And so we're in James chapter 2, wrapping up the examples James gives us pertaining to faith and works. Um, if you look at James chapter 2, starting in verse 21... James has this to say in terms of examples. He comes back, well, let me pick it up in verse 20. He says, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? And then he wants to acknowledge a couple of people here. Remember, his audience is really Jewish believers who are scattered uh, now um, throughout the province. And so he wants to let them know uh, some examples that they would remember, that they would be very familiar with. He starts with Abraham and he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And, and I love how James brings that particular example to our attention because that is the prime example that Paul uses in Galatians and in Romans to say that Abraham was justified by what? Justified by faith. And we, we kind of champion that. And then James comes along right by the side of, of, of Paul and says, yes, and this is how he demonstrated that faith. In fact, some people believe that Abraham 
depending on if you believe Genesis 12 or Genesis 15 as to when he actually came to faith, regardless, it was one of those two times. Genesis 22, where he offered up Isaac, uh, when he's walking up the mountain and God says, uh, I need you to, to offer up your son to me. Um, that was about 30 or 32 years or so after Genesis 15 or Genesis 12. So we're not talking about someone who just came to faith and then, uh, you know, is kind of displaying. We're talking about almost three decades afterwards. Does James echo this idea that Abraham's justification is played out in his works? And so he marries these two things. And that's what we've been trying to communicate for the past several weeks, I think, is that it's not uh, an issue of I've got to demonstrate my works to, to prove that I'm a Christian. But rather, it's that these works should come because I'm a Christian. Uh, and so we look at Abraham as an example, and then he backs it up with one more, and he talks about Rahab in verse 25. He says, in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. It's interesting that he uses Rahab, I think, as an example, because if you'll recall, those of you remembering what happened to Rahab in in Joshua chapter 2, what did she have to do to send the spies out safely? She had to lie, right? So the guys come knocking at the door. We know you're hiding people. Fess up, Rahab. We know you got guys in there somewhere. And Rahab says they went that way. And they bought it, and so they went that way, and really they were up on a roof. And so I almost understand this, because I read that, I've read that several times, as probably some of you have, and I always thought, well, is God then, is he allowing for basically what we would call situational ethics? Is, is God allowing for times in our lives where lying or stealing or for the, for the greater good, basically? Is that allowable? And that's not what he's saying here. But rather, James is, I believe anyway, James is focusing on uh, Rahab's allegiance to God, her new allegiance. Because remember when the spies showed up, Rahab completely changes teams here and says, I used to worship this God, but now I've heard so many stories about the God of Israel and I fear him and I need to do whatever I need to do to make things right. And so they say, well, we're going to, you know, uh, if you'll hang the, the thread off the, out of the window, when we come back, we're going to take the town. And when we do, if you have this scarlet thread out of the window, we will protect anyone who's in this house. And sure enough, that's what they did. So don't, don't, don't get caught up in the idea that God's okay with situational ethics or there are times where I can go against what he's saying, but rather I'm, I think he's focused on her allegiance there as he was with Abraham. Okay, so that wraps up chapter two for us. And really my focus again is I wanted to put up um, uh, put some time up for chapter three. With that said, um, let's see if we can get some PowerPoint up here. Um, I want you to look at, at these words and I want you to do this for me. Um, t- take your, take your hand, one of them, and you don't have to raise it, but just kind of make it available so that you can see it. Okay. And I'm going to put some words up here and I want you to grade yourself on the month of November. So we're 11 days in, um, many things may have happened to you and December, I'm sorry. Yes. I, I lost my mind there for a moment. Okay. 
Yeah, the month of December, and uh, and so I'm going to put some words up, and I want I want you to just you know sit in here at your at your chair there, um, so that no one has to see this, but just kind of put your hand like this, and when I put the word up, give yourself either a thumbs up or a thumb down, thumbs down based on if you've committed this particular um, flaw of the tongue, if you will, uh, in the past 12, 11 days. Okay, so thumbs up would be I'm good, I, I haven't. Thumbs down would be. Guilty as charged, okay? So, uh, let's see, the first one then would be, um, how about bragging, okay? Thumbs up or thumbs down. Bragging or boasting, have you committed that foul uh, in the past 11 days? Um, What about gossiping? How are we doing with gossiping? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Some of you are 0 for 2. um, And we have a long list here, so it's not going to go well for you. How about truth shading? Um, That is where either we're telling half-truths or... We're covering up a part of it because we know that there's, uh, there's going to be repercussions if we tell the whole truth. Uh, what about off-color remarks? How am I doing thumbs up or thumbs down in the past 11 or 12 days? Have I made any off-color remarks that I wished, as soon as it went out, I wish, I wish I could take it back? Um, what about cursing? Um, how did we do with the person that cut us off this week? Um, uh, what about slandering somebody? What about... Um, uh, maligning their name or their character through our words. Um, how about arguing? How did we do with arguing these past two weeks? Did that just immediately throw you off there? Was it, you were doing well up until that one, right? And then stupid arguing. How about uh, lying? Um, how did we do with lying this week, this past, these past two weeks? Um, if I were to ask you how many lies did you justify these past two weeks, I wonder uh, if you have enough fingers and toes to count. Um, how about yelling? Um, I had to come to Jesus meeting with my three kids last night and uh, it was, I'd like to say it was righteous anger. I'm not sure though. I think I crossed the line somewhere about the 20 minute mark. Um, and, and I kind of knew that when I started repeating myself over and over and over again. I just couldn't think of any other words to yell at them with. Um, I'm probably guilty of that. Uh, what about talking behind someone's back? How many times did you do that this past week Um, or two weeks? Finally, then, what about verbally abusing others? So when I look at this list and I look at my grades, thumbs up or thumbs down, where do you, are you 60%? Did you fail these past two weeks? Did you pass? Um, We don't have, you know, an, uh, an objective grading system. Only you know how well you did. Okay, so now um, take the person on your right and grade them over these past two weeks. How did they do? And see how it turns out. Or the person on your left. And obviously what James is talking about here is this one sure sign, I think. This one sure sign of... Boy, I'm putting our sound guy to work tonight, huh? Um... Of how we live out our faith. Our faith plus works or our faith, our works are lived out by our faith in this one sure sign. And that is what's coming out of your mouth. This, these, these, these three inches of flesh. How are we doing? How did you do these past two weeks? Dare I say, how did you do this past year? Um, I like what John MacArthur said. He said, the mouth is a tattletale on the heart. See, and what I've, what I've realized these past two weeks, and it's almost been almost a revelation to me, gang, is 
Because I always, I would think of people, I started to, to um, in my kind of journal this week, I just made a list of the times I've been encouraged, starting on Monday, this, the, a week ago, and then the times I've been discouraged by people's words. And I just kind of drew a line down the middle and said, who, is, who has been discouraging, or how have I heard discouraging words? Who's made this list? And then what are the times where I've been encouraged? And to the day, every day, I had things on both sides of the equation. People were, I got a few emails this week, very, very encouraging, very kind emails. And then I got um, some very discouraging um, remarks or words. Um, And they weren't necessarily, they don't have to be directed toward you or toward me. You just hear them. I've heard a couple of conversations this week that started with, did you hear about? In fact, one in particular, I knew the person and I knew where this was going. It was going to a a season, a a little time of blatant gossip. And the minute they said, did you hear about, I just, I, without being obvious, I just walked away. Because I knew that that, they wanted to engage me into a conversation of, did you hear about so-and-so? I even knew who they were going to talk about. And I just, I, I had to allow for them to get out the did you hear about, and then I just had to kind of politely cut them off and just go about my business doing something else. Every day for the past week, I've seen the, these things played out, as probably you have. The question is, is, am I guilty of these things? And you may be asking yourself, what, really, what's the big deal? Uh, so I gossiped a little, so I backtalked a little, so I, I dishonored someone a little. So I yelled a little, so I argued a little. Really, so what? And really, guys, what the scriptures have to tell us is the reason that this is important is because when it comes out, the damage it can do is almost irreparable at times. The the amount of damage our words can do and our tongue can do, as we've all been on the receiving end of that, we know when, we, when it gets out there, there's no taking it back, first of all. And then secondly, we have no idea when it goes out, the effect it will have, the ripple effect it will have on everyone else that it hits. And so, so James comes along you and me, to you and me and he says, listen, gang, we're talking about a live faith and dead faith. If you want to demonstrate in a live faith, I'm going to be listening to what comes out of your mouth. And I can tell pretty clearly right away, if you're consistently living up to this, I can, I can be fairly certain and say, I'm not sure you have an alive faith. And it's not because you're saying off-color remarks. It's not because you're saying racist jokes all the time or sexist jokes. It's not because you're yelling all the time or arguing all the time. It's because where it comes from is the organ that God supposedly changed in your life when he justified you. And that is your heart. And I read, I was reading some, some things this week and it just dawned on me because I would get, I would listen to people say things like gossip and backtalk and, and constant arguing and constant um, griping and And I would just think to myself, why is that person that way? Why do you always lead with, did you hear about? Why does it excite you to stab somebody else that's not here in the back verbally? Why do you, why do why are you so passive aggressive that you, you so cunningly knock the legs out of somebody that's not even here? 
Why are you so quick to just start cussing all the time? Why is that? And I would wonder that because I would see you in church and, and sit next to you or have conversations with you and we would all claim to be following Jesus, but it just didn't fit. And on the other hand, why is it that when I see some of you, I can't help but always hear kind words come out of your mouth? I can't, hear, I can't but hear words of encouragement come out of your mouth. And I wonder, how are you doing that? How is it that when you're faced with persecution or trials or challenges or you have nothing but kind words to say about your enemies or those who are against you or how is it that you're always wanting to pray for people and and want the best for people? Why is that? And I'm looking at these two types of people thinking, how is that when we're all falling under the banner of Jesus? And maybe, just maybe, it was brought to my attention this week that the answer isn't just because that's the way I grew up or that's how my parents were, or, but because it's a heart issue. In fact, take your Bibles real quick. Um, turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. And let me just, uh, rather than me tell you this, let's let God tell you this. Matthew chapter 12. Um, let's go to verse 34. Matthew 12, starting in verse 34. Uh, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees about a number of things, but he says, well, in verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. Okay. And then he says, you've brood of vipers. How can you being evil speak what is good for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart? Um, turn just two, two chapters over here to Matthew 15. Matthew 15, pick it up in uh, 16. How about that? 16. Matthew 15, starting in 16. Uh, On 15, Peter says, explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Don't you understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Jesus is saying, if you're really in question as to why people are gossiping or lying constantly, why people are struggling with cursing all the time, they just can't get a nice word in edgewise, it's because of a heart issue. It's a heart condition. And, and guys, James, in every chapter of the book of James, James mentions either words or the tongue. Five chapters in five different places in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, James addresses this issue because it was pervasive in the first century. And dare I say, was he wise enough to project out 2,000 years and say, I wonder in the 21st century if they're going to be struggling with stuff that, that we just talked about. And of course, he was correct. So for you tonight, here's my suggestion. If I put that list up, and again, you're not going to tell anyone this, but if I put this list up and you're looking at that list saying, truth be told, I am struggling in a few of these areas. Then can I just gently suggest to us tonight that this could be our 10%. Remember when Lynn was talking about there's 90% of us that we're, we've given over to God, but there's 10% that we're just hanging out, we're clinging to. Can I just gently suggest tonight, this could be your 10%. This could be the stuff that you really are wrestling with. And the reason I want to, I guess, 
help us understand tonight that the, the, the ramifications of this is because the damage can be irreversible. And so if this is you and you're struggling with this or your spouses or your kids are, the damage can be irreversible. How many of us can remember conversations we've had 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 years ago with people when we were the victims of abuse by way of verbal abuse or yelling or or, why is it that we can remember certain things people have said to us years ago when thousands of conversations have taken place in our lives since then? Why is it that I can look at an individual and say, I remember 16 years ago, we were sitting at Denny's and you said this. I can't remember my kids' birthdays. I can't remember social security numbers. I don't know my own address. But I can tell you word for word what you said to me 16 years ago. Why is that? What, you tell me, why is that? Why do we remember those things? Because what? Because it's hurtful. Yeah, but a lot of things are hurtful. The Steelers got crushed this weekend. That was painful. But I won't remember that a year from now. Wait, I'm sorry? Because it's said by somebody you love. And that's... Uh, that's okay, so it, it could be said by someone I love. Right. And that certainly we're going to remember that. What if it's done by like a co-worker though? Or some, you know, a, a friend that I don't... I don't necessarily well, love. A, a friend is, I mean, somebody that you, that you cherish. A co-worker, it wouldn't bother me so much. Um... Because I think it's more of a reflection on them if they're saying something hurtful. Okay. I mean, I would probably take a look and see if there's any truth behind it, right. you know. Right, sure. But, um, but I think it's, it hurts more when it's, it's somebody that you can Absolutely, for. it does, yeah. And, those, and we do remember those for years and years and years and years. Um, yeah. I, I just feel it's just the impression that they put on you from what comes out. I mean, sometimes you're really taken back and you just don't forget those because it's just been impressed into your heart. You're just totally taken back by something that comes out that you thought was not in them. That's why you yep. remember. I agree. Absolutely. Yep. I think that we remember them when they, the conversations that change us. Um, like I remember things from junior high. Because they changed the way I lived from that point on. Not because the person that said it had any deep connection to me or it wasn't anything horrible, but I remember it because it affects me today in certain areas. Yeah, I'm I'm asking the question, guys, not because I have this great answer. It's just that I think we all can relate to why is it that I remember sitting in the Denny's and you 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 said some things to me that I'll never, ever forget. And again, this can go both ways, right? So if someone says something encouraging to you or kind to you, you'll remember that too. I would venture to say, though, the scales are, are almost always unbalanced in terms of negative comments or criticism we receive and words of encouragement and kindness we receive. Uh, the ones that we receive that are critical or full of hate and envy or strife or jealousy, those seem to outweigh, at least in my life they do, and, I, and they, we hang on to them. And, and God in his, in his perfect wisdom, I think, knew that. And so throughout the Proverbs and throughout the New Testament, we find incredible amount of verses that speak to the power of our words. Um, how many of you believe that, that words, have you ever been in a situation where words have weight to them? And, and it's almost funny even to say that because 
And yet we've all maybe been in conversations where someone has said something and the room just felt heavy. Or someone has said something and, and if it was positive, the room felt incredibly free. The words, our words have power to them. And because of technology, which I'll get to a little bit later here, we have, we have gone the extra mile in abusing the privilege of speaking words to each other. Um, in fact, take your Bibles, turn to James chapter 3. As you're turning there, um, I asked my students today, I told them I was going to be speaking on this tonight, and I said, how, how are, in your culture, I teach over at Valley Christian High School, and I said, in, in your culture, I'm, I deal with juniors and seniors, how do you use your words in today's society? And of course, their answer is, how do our teenagers primarily communicate? Through, through texting, through media. And so when we read these, when we read th- these passages here, I want you to, um, I guess I want you to understand that when James talks about the tongue here, put it in the, the culture that we live in today. The words that you and I use today, the, the tongue is, is, we use our fingers now. Which is, which is amazing. I just wonder if James, when he was writing this, ever thought, you know, so when I say things about the tongue, 2,000 years later, they're going to see that through their thumbs. Because that's how we talk today, is through our thumbs. Um, so when I, when I use the word tongue here, for some of you, just substitute the word thumb. Here we go. In verse 1 in James chapter 3, he says this. He says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we shall incur a stricter judgment. Uh, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. He is able to bridle the whole body as well. Okay, stop right there. And and some of you may have just glossed over or uh, just kind of bypass chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 because you're looking at your life saying well I'm not a teacher I don't desire to be a teacher I don't have any inclination to be a teacher but can I just I I guess just invite you to think about the areas of life that we need teachers in it's not just Lynn standing up here on Sunday morning any of you that have taught or desire to teach in any of the small churches any of you that have taught or desire to teach in any of the life groups uh, any of you that um, uh, uh, are parents, you are in a position of teaching. And James says, let not many of you become teachers. Now, again, I understand that the strict interpretation is teachers of the word of God, my brethren, but such knowing that such as we shall incur a stricter judgment. But as I was reading that, I was thinking, well, why? Why would he incur a stricter judgment? Why do teachers of God's word incur a stricter judgment? So let me ask you, why, why would they? Why doesn't he say um, leaders will incur a stricter judgment or parents will incur a stricter judgment? or Why teachers? We are training, well, hopefully the next generation as well as our generation in what is right. And we don't want to teach them what is right is actually wrong. And, and yeah, I, show I, them what is right. I agree wholeheartedly. And, and where does where does our information come from? Um, ours comes from those before us, the generations before us. Okay, good. And where does theirs come from? The generations before. We go them. all the way back. So to, we don't want to affect many generations. Right. 
And, and, but, but, so, but here's why I think that we encourage stricter judgment is because we are given an awesome responsibility of communicating the absolute truth of the word of God. So what God's saying is if you want, if you desire to be a teacher, and this goes again to Deuteronomy 6, 4, parents, you're to train your children up in the ways of the Lord. If you're going to be a teacher of God's word, God is saying, teach my word. I don't need your wisdom. Teach my wisdom to the people, which, in, which requires preparation. And we got to, we got to study and learn as a parent. Um, you need to sit down do things like this or sit down um, in uh, small churches. You, you need to sit down and learn God's word if you're going to train your child up in the ways of the Lord. Hey, Greg, I have a question too. Um, so although we all can probably figure out how we can control our own tongues and see how we need to control our own tongues, how are we to react in situations that other people around us are speaking and we don't want to be the listeners, but necessarily can't get out of the situation. Um, go to your happy place. <laughs> um, yeah, I would need probably more specifics on the details of that particular situation. And you're right. There are times where, uh, you know, you're in a, yeah, you're in a staff meeting and someone's just back talking or gossiping. I love when people say, well, you just need to step in and, you know, and tell them it's not right. And that's incredibly hard to do especially if it's a superior. Um, not too many of us, uh, I teach, and so I'm not, well, I teach at a Christian school, so it's a little different um, because I can treat my superiors as brothers or sisters in Christ. Uh, but if you're not in that situation and you know it's, you know, that person doesn't like to be told what to do, that's a difficult position to be in. And so, so sometimes the best things we can do is to show them by our silence that we're not, engaging or uh or appreciating the comments and and we don't have to be rude about it we don't have to be um snickering but but just by um maybe just a good poker face and just letting them know i get it i you know it was an off-color comment it was a sexist joker i get it um you know i'm not impressed um if we can do that with our actions maybe our non-verbals um that may go a long way but you're right it's not you know we all can't stand up in our circles or walk out or stomp our feet and, you know, claim purity. Um, but, and that's a difficult position. But I think when we, when someone tells that off-color joke or some, and we, and it, we even laugh a little, I think we're just feeding the fire a little bit to say, that was okay, when we know it really wasn't. Um, and prayerfully, there will be a conversation later you can have in private um, where maybe some truth can be shared. So... Um, Listen to this, Hebrews 13, and I, and I say this on behalf of Lynn. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. Uh, they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Hebrews 13, 17 says, um, Obey Lynn and the elders here, Marty and the elders, um, so that their work will be a joy. So that when Lynn stands up here on Sunday, every Sunday after Sunday, he's not racked with dozens and dozens of critical emails. Well, I didn't like the way you illustrated this point. And I think that you interpreted this just, you know, is there a time and space for that? I guess so. Uh, but, 
But the writer of Hebrews says, obey them that so their work will be a joy and not a burden. I would hate the fact that if Lynn stood up here and said, uh, as so many pastors unfortunately have guys that have stood up here and, and in local churches across the, our country and said, I'm out of here. Give yourselves a hand because you've run me out of here. That would be a tragedy. Uh, so I want to do my part to say to Lynn, yeah, if I don't agree with something, I don't agree. And if I need to really address it, which I would say probably nine times out of ten, it's just a preference issue. But if I need to really address it, then I need to do so in such a way that he knows that I have his best interests at heart. Not, I can't wait to get home and just fire up an email and send it. And then an hour later, you've forgotten about it. But it's sitting in his inbox. And maybe he opens it on a day that he wasn't in a particular good mood to open it. And now you've just crushed his spirit a little bit more. And now we're expecting him to get up on Sunday and just create magic up here. And he doesn't. And we're like, well, why didn't that happen? What's his problem? Well, maybe it's because you got one too many emails from a critical spirit. Maybe. Obey our leaders. Um, okay, anyway, uh, comment. Or, and then I want to start reading James here. Yeah, I just had a comment. You were yeah. talking about uh, teachers. I don't think you have to be in the teaching profession to be a teacher. Yeah, I think absolutely not. All Christians are teachers because you don't know who's watching you. And people learn from your actions and the way you live your life. Absolutely, yep. Uh, I had a, a friend who was of the Muslim faith, and he was actually converted to Christianity because of a Christian woman in his office. Hmm. And he watched how she lived her life, how she handled her problems, how she dealt with people. Yeah. He wanted that. He approached her yeah. about her Christianity. That's and amazing. And he was eventually converted. You said a Muslim? Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's so amazing. Yeah. You teach by your your actions. You and the teach way by you your lifestyle. Your life. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. So we're all teachers. If you're and a Christian, you're all teachers. You're, you're exactly right. And, and part of that, though, is our tongue, is our words. So James says this. Look at verse 3. He says, now, if we put bits into the horse's mouths so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, the ships also. He's using three metaphors here. Though they are great and driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, whatever inclination of the pilot desires, uh, wherever. Uh, so also the tongue is a small part of the body. And yet if it boasts of great things, behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity, the tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. And sets the fire, sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. We'll stop there because I, as I kind of read through those verses, I stopped at verse 6 because I thought, well, now what are you saying here, James? And the tongue is a fire. I get the fact, I get 3 through 5, that, that such a small thing can, can move and direct such big things. But then he says that the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Um, I, I thought about that and thought, well, what are you saying here, James? Are you saying that that my words and, and my tongue can be that damaging? That, that the, the foundation, basically, for all of this evil that comes out of our mouths 
um, uh, someone once said that the, that the tongue is the is the the one organ in our body that is the epitome of depravity. That it, that is the, the 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 pinnacle of evil is our tongue. And I think that's what James is saying here. He's not saying that Satan is controlling your tongue. But remember, he says in John chapter 8, he says he's talking about who, who are you a child of? And he says, you're either a child of the king or you're a child of the father of lies. And as children of the father of lies, you will want to do the will of your father. Just as if you're a new creation, you will want to do the will of your heavenly father. And so he says it's so easy because those of us who have been justified, it's not that we've done away with our old nature, our sin nature. And if there's one area of our life that continually comes up in demonstrating our old nature, it's our tongue. But again, guys, I can't stop at the tongue. I've got to go back to the origin, which is your heart. And is your heart being renewed daily along with your mind because you're in the word of God? And you're asking God, change my heart. Because I guarantee you, when your heart is being changed, you will notice a direct connection to the words you say to people. It's a correlation that is not only biblical, but experiential. Meaning you've seen that play out in your life or your spouses or your kids. Um, can I just show you really how this has played out today? Because maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what, I got it, I'm good, Greg. But guys, I, I'm around this stuff every day and, and uh, maybe I heart, my heart's a little heavy tonight because I see what James is talking about played out every day when I'm around teenagers. Um, let me just show you quickly. We have a, I have a video here I want to show you how this is being played out in the 21st century. I saw that online and, and so I asked my students, I said, um, you know, I, I think someone did that as a school project and I said, is that, is that real? Like, does that, is someone just doing that for sensationalism? Um, and, uh, and we had a, an, a really good discussion on this issue. Guys, if you're not tech savvy, um, you need to get your mind around, this is the form of communication for our kids. And with it comes an, an unbelievable license that they feel they can use with their words. That I can say whatever I want, and it's not going to have the weight of which it might if I say it face to face. And they are saying it whenever they want to whomever they want. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Amanda Todd. Does anyone, does that name ring a bell for anyone? Uh, I think I have a picture up here. Um, Amanda uh, from the British Columbia, right, 15 years old. She posted a video um, in September just uh, with, with just music and just had like flip cards, you know, saying um, a number of things and bullying and just um, and a four or five minute video at the end or at the end of this video, she just said, I just, I want, I need help. She had to move out of her school, had to change schools because some, some guy online got her to, to expose some body parts. And so she did. Um, and then he threatened her if she didn't do it more that he would sh- he would share those with everyone, Instagram them to everyone. And she refused to do more, and so he did, shared them with everyone. And it caused her such depression and stress and anxiety. She moved to another school and posted this video. And, be- and at the end of the video, she just had this sign that said, I just, "Would someone please help me? 
And then five weeks later, uh, in October of this past year, Amanda Todd took her life at 15. And I could give you story after story, as probably you could I, or you could me. And, and so I said to my kids, you know, I said, well, well, I know that that's not taking place all the time, so how is it taking place today? And can I just give you some examples of how it's taking place? And not to, for shock value, I just want you to understand that the way you and I may use email and text and Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram is a, is a far cry from the way our, gener- our younger generation is using it. And if you don't have a, 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 um, some sort of an in on your child or grandchild's accounts or life, can I just encourage you to, to take a peek? It is, it is rampant in terms of um, the vile language that's being used and the abuse that is going on. For instance, two people are texting, having a private conversation through text. A guy and a girl, for instance. And the guy will say something vulnerable to the girl or vice versa. And they will screenshot that text and then upload, paste it to their Facebook page of the conversation so that their friends can see it and then comment on it. And so if it's, if it's you know, vulnerable or if it's taking a step out there and a risk and sharing your heart and you need to know that they can easily just screenshot that particular conversation and do whatever they want with it. And kids are actually just uploading it to their Facebook page saying to their friends, what do you think of this guy? Look what they just said. What an idiot. What a loser. And if you don't think that's happening at a Christian high school, that's happening. What, what do you think is happening at public or charter schools? I had a conversation with a girl last week. Comes into my, comes into my office crying. Beautiful girl. Um, confident. Um, self-assured. Uh, one, of the, one of our leaders crying can i talk yeah what's going on i don't know how much you know about technology and blah 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 and somebody somebody um created an anonymous twitter account and then just picked her as a target and said a number of disparaging bad things about her anonymously specific things that you had to know about her and her school and what she does and her activities at school and somebody at my school did this and she's crying because there's no retro there's there's no there's no way to stop it and so someone texted her and said did you know there's a twitter account now where someone's making comments about you well who is it we don't know because it's anonymous. There's no way to shut it down. There's no way to... You can report it, but that, that'll take days to, to have it shut down. You just have to let it sit out there. And she's in tears asking me, what should I do? And thankfully, just this, by God's grace, the individual took the, took the account off, stopped the account. But it was completely up to them. It was their discretion. Why would people do that? Teenage, Christian teenagers are doing this. And I said to this girl, I said, you know what? Honestly, they picked the right person because you're strong enough to get through this. 
You don't need to retaliate. You don't need to get back at them. And you'll find out one day who it is. And I said to her, I said, here's the issue. Because we're talking about tongue and words. And I said, here's the issue. When you do find out who it is, what are you going to do? And she said, what would you do? And I said, I would punch him in the face. No, I didn't say that. I said, um, I said, here's the deal. You're going to be in a position 10 years from now where some girl is going to go through the same exact thing. And you're going to have a story to tell that girl about how you went through something like that. And here's how you reacted. And here's how you dealt with it. And if you do it in a godly way, not only will God honor that, but I think he will use your story tenfold, a hundredfold for the people that are coming up behind you. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know how she's going to deal with it, but I'm praying for her. I'm praying that, that, that God would allow her to see the better side of people and, and be able to forgive and confront, but do it in love. And, um, I, uh, I asked my students, is it... Um, is it pervasive? Is it happening every day? And they said, oh, it's, this, is, this is what we do with Twitter, and especially Twitter and, and Instagram and Facebook, is we, we argue with each other over Twitter. I, I said, well, how, how does that happen? And they said, well, it's called, I guess it's called a subtweet. And we're all learning stuff tonight, I guess, because I said, well, what is a subtweet? And they said, well, you hashtag subtweet. I said, well, what's a hashtag? They said, well, it's the pound sign. It's the thing, you know, and, right? So, and so they said, when, when, when we see the word subtweet, when we see hashtag subtweet, we know that that person is referring to somebody. They're about to argue with somebody. But the trick is, I guess the, the cool thing is, is you don't use the person's name. So if Bob really ticked me off or I don't like Bob or I want to say something mean about Bob, I don't say, I don't call him Bob. I say, um... I say, um, the guy who was wearing the black jacket today, or the girl that was singing off key in chapel today, or, and so I do it in, in a way that is so um, creative, but everyone knows who I'm talking about. And then eventually Bob's going to get a text from his friend saying, did you know Greg is saying stuff about you? He's subtweeting about you. And guess what Bob's going to do? He's going to subtweet about me. And kids will spend hours, guys, and I'm not kidding when I say they'll spend hours while they're multitasking, doing their homework and watching TV and playing video games, following my argument with Bob. And here's the beauty of it. It's like an arena. It's like we're in this virtual arena arguing, just slandering each other with, with an audience. And the kids love the audience. They love being a part of it. And here's the beauty of it is they can get in on it if they want. By replying to a couple of these tweets. And so I need to, I guess I just, I want to, if, if, if this is news to you, it's happening all the time now. And so I said, to, I, I, I shared this passage with my students and I said, what do you think then James is talking about here? So when you're about to send something that you know is evil about someone else, I said, why do you do it? 
And I had one girl look at me today and, and almost casually say, I don't know. But I can. And so I do. And we're going we're to let the chips fall where they're going to fall. Guys, statistically, bullying online is at, it just keeps going up every year. And if you think the workplace is void of this, uh, career builders did a survey. 35% of people in the workplace are being bullied through emails or texts, which is tw- up 27% from last year. It's happening all over the place because we have, we have taken something good, technology, and we turned it into filth. We, we have a tendency as a human race to do this, don't we? And so we've done it with technology. Maybe God meant it for good, and we take it and we just flip it on its head, and we realize how we can just damage each other behind our phones or tablets or computers. I remember getting an email. Have you ever done this? Have you ever gotten an email um, from someone that sent it and they, you weren't supposed to be on the list? That's a great conversation to have, isn't it? Got an email from someone. He, was, he meant to send it to his wife about me and send it to me instead of his wife. So I'm just bebopping, doing my work or whatever. Ding! I open up my inbox. Um, uh, Greg, um, um, yeah, I won't tell you the whole conversation, but it was, it was clearly not meant for my eyes. And now it's, in, now it's in my inbox. So what do I do? What do you do? So I picked up the phone and I called him. And he had no idea I had gotten the email. So when he answered the phone, what do you think his demeanor was? What's up? What you, what's going on? And I said, I just got an email. Great. What? From you. I think you meant to send it to your wife. And I don't know, what, what was that? Ten seconds, probably the longest ten seconds of his life. Because I just let that thing hang out there. <laughs> I didn't, I wasn't about to reel him back in just yet. Long, long pause. And I, I wanted him to say the next words. I wanted to know what are you, where, the yeah, ball's in your court now. I made my move. What's your move now? Because we were both Christians. We were both, we're friends. He was just doing something he knew he shouldn't have done. If he had a problem with me, you go to me. You don't go to your wife. You don't go to your kids. You don't go to your co-workers. You go to the source. And it wasn't a big deal. It really wasn't. It was just highly embarrassing for him. And I wasn't terribly upset. It wasn't, it wasn't going to, I wasn't going to lose sleep over what he was talking about. And I just, I need to let him know it just wasn't going to bother me, but I need to let him know as well, is this what we want to do with each other? Is this what our friendship is about? When I upset you, you go to your wife and gripe about me. Um, is that, is that, I just need to know if that's where our, our friendship is, then I guess, you know, I need to line up my friends that I can gripe about you. But we can do better, can't we? Can't we do better? And that's how we ended the conversation. We can do better than this. Man, I'm really sorry. Yeah, me too. Still friends today. But, but go, guess what, though? I can't forget it. I've tried. I can't. I wish. I don't know. Maybe, that's, maybe it's me. I don't know. Um, so, so, we're out of time, but, but let me just wrap it up with this. 
if this is an area of struggle with you, um, you don't have to use your tongue for evil. 2 Corinthians 5 says you are a new creation. You're a new creature in Christ. You do not have to use your tongue for evil. You don't need to justify it because of your upbringing. You don't need to justify it because you're around people that do it all the time. You don't need to justify it because that's the way your spouse is. You don't have to do it. You're a new creature and you can live out of the power of Christ that he gives you to not do it. You can use words of kindness and encouragement. And you don't have to use words that are slanderous and malicious. Secondly, um, if you have some time, it's a phenomenal passage. Matthew chapter 12. Look at verses 33 to 37. Matthew 12, 33 to 37. And Jesus basically sums up our words by saying this. I need to let you know real gently, God is holding you accountable to your words. And you will either be justified or condemned by your words. So know that God's listening, okay? Know you're better than this. Know God's listening. And then thirdly, um, just one more thing on PowerPoint here. Um, I just, I I love some of these quotes. Um, This is from Blaise Pascal. He says, few friendships would have survived if each one knew what his friend was saying behind his back. So don't add to this. Let's not add to this. I know it's easy. I get it. And technology has made it easier. But we don't need to do it. Um, I love this one, anonymous. Um, it often shows a fine command of language to say nothing. Master the English language. How? Just don't say anything when you're tempted to. If it's going to be slanderous or malicious. Uh, then finally, take, take a look at this. Whoever gossips to you will gossip of you. So just think about that. If you're receiving gossip from someone, why are you void from their gossip to someone else? If they're gossiping to you, they'll probably gossip of you. Powerful, powerful stuff because James ends with this. Um, we'll, and we'll end with this, verses, uh, verse 8. He says, but no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been and made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, beloved, fellow believers in Jesus, these things ought not to be this way. My challenge for us during this holiday season, guys, if we're going to give our loved ones something, let's give them words of kindness and compassion and forgiveness. And every time we're tempted to do all those things I put up there, let's just check ourselves real, real quickly and say, maybe even if it's just for the season, just till the end of the year, I'm going to refrain from saying something that I'm so tempted to say, but I'm just going to refrain because I know it won't do any good. See what God does with that. I am a firm believer that he will honor that. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for tonight. It is amazing to me, Father, as I watch this next generation especially come up behind me, how easy it is to use our words for uh, evil. What's more sad, I guess, God, is that there seems to be a a blatant um, disregard, almost a complacency and and a, um, a who cares attitude. God, impress upon those of us that are struggling in this area even for our children that may not even be here, maybe for loved ones, co-workers, neighbors who are struggling with this, impress upon them 
that, that, that we can use, we can do better. What a glorious thing is when we apply Proverbs 25, like apples of gold and settings of silver, so is a word spoken in right circumstances. What a, what a beautiful thing that is, God. May our tongues, Father, for those of us in this room, may our tongues over the next week or two glorify you. May we not only honor you and bless you with our tongues, but may we honor others, those in our circles of influence. Father, I know I struggle with this as much as the person um, that is struggling with this out, out in the crowd. So God, work on our hearts. Be a uh, precise surgeon this next, this next week in our hearts in this area. Holy Spirit, I'm praying that you would convict me when I fail. Allow me to, to make amends quickly with the person I've wronged verbally. Allow me to seek their forgiveness so that things can be made right between us. When that happens, we'll give you the glory. We're imperfect people, Father, but this is a struggle for a lot of us, and I'm thankful that we have uh, these words of wisdom from James. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, have a great Christmas uh, holiday, if I don't see you before then, and uh, we'll see you on the 8th of, uh, of January.